Thank you, Alex, and thank you, Joel, for sharing what you did about Twin Cities Ministries. It's, that's one of my, um, I really look forward to hearing from the people that share during serving and movement time. It really, you know, I'm not able to, to hear and see all of what goes on in the church, and when we meet as elders, you know, we talk about what's going on and, and uh, pray for uh, the church, um, but it's really great to get those personal stories, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And if you uh, want to know more about or support Twin Cities Ministries, you can write a check to the church, and just that'll get put into Twin Cities Ministries or directly to Twin Cities Ministries in the giving box up there, but it's a, it's a work that uh, many people here in the church support, and I think uh, uh, we generally give somewhere between eighty dollars and $100,000 a year to Twin Cities Ministries outside of the, the general church budget, so it's a substantial part of, of our mission here as a church, and uh, again, we do thank you for your for your generosity and support of that work. It's, it's meeting a lot of great uh, needs. Um, two weeks ago, we were working through the book of Romans. Two weeks ago, we um, looked at a number of what uh, the scriptures would call disputable matters or matters of opinion um, that have taken on a, a moral status in our culture. And in the Roman church, um, there were different opinions about what could be eaten or or days that could be observed, and so um, there were two factions that emerged. The church was polarized, um, not unlike the way our culture is polarized, and so there was some polarization in the Roman culture between uh, Jews and Gentiles, and that was also present within the church. And so um, because we don't really concern ourselves with uh, what we eat and whether it was sacrificed to idols or not, we have a, our, our culture is a little bit different than what they were experiencing there. Um, but we still have a lot of different opinions um, that we hold some righteousness to or that we give moral status to, things that we eat and where the food comes from and how and where it was produced. Uh, there's a lot of opinion in regard to political and social concerns, and, and not necessarily in what pro the actual problems are, but a lot of different opinions on, as to how those problems should be addressed and who should address them and those kinds of things. A lot of different opinions about uh, the environment and how we should care or not care for it. And so, again, there's, a, there's, there's uh, you know, several of you shared after that sermon about the weight that you feel in our culture about all of the various things that seem to have these, these moral qualifications or these, these moral status, and um, it can become quite burdensome. And so uh, after that, uh, at, the, at the end of that sermon, one of you raised a question, well, what does it mean then to be righteous? What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be moral? And in, in asking that question, what we're really asking um, is, how can I view myself and live my life in such a way that demonstrates care and respect for others? All right? and, and how can I live my life in such a way that reflects a dignified life so that others care and respect for me? Um, and then the third question would be, am I living a good life? Am I sensing um, fulfillment? Am I feeling complete? And so all of those, those ideas are wrapped up in this idea of what it means to be righteous. And our, and our sense of righteousness and what it means to live a righteous life come from two places. And this is, seems pretty obvious and clear. Um, groups we associate with, the people that we are around, 
uh, people that we identify with, and then our circumstances. And our perspectives on all of these various matters of opinion or all of the issues and challenges of our culture that are moral in nature or, or are perceived to be moral uh, come from these two things, our circumstances and the people that we are around. And generally, um, you know, this is from Jonathan Haidt in terms of referring to and talking about uh, like the polarized political climate that we're in, um, and he's written a, a num he's written quite a bit on addressing this this polarization, and and it's and it's helpful to look at because he he sees that there are um, seven moral pillars that that all of the ideas around morality fit into. One of them would be like fairness. Okay, another one would be responsibility. Um, so there are seven of these. And everybody acknowledges, whether you're on the, the left side of the polarization continuum or on the right side, conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat or whatever labels you want to give them, um, there's a general affirmation that those seven pillars are, are accurate in terms of, yeah, these are the, these are the seven areas of morality that are, are valid and, and that we all care about. And what he's seen is that um, what, what the, the polarization occurs because um, we tend to weigh heavier several of those seven pillars than others. So all of us don't equally value all seven of those ideas. So some people put a greater degree of responsibility uh, on, on, in terms of how they view morality than they do like maybe fairness or mercy. Okay, so anyway, there is, a, there is a common understanding, but we tend to usually go towards the, the left or the right or progressive or liberal or conservative and, and these kinds of things. Um, and so what, 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 what was going on there in the, in the Roman church was that they were coming down on these sides. They were coming down on, on, in, in places where it was creating division. And so... And it revealed itself in one big way. Um, their Lord's Supper meetings. The Gentiles would serve food that had been sacrificed to idols because it was less expensive. The Jews didn't have the freedom of conscience to participate in their Lord's Suppers. And so what happened is that the whole church began to being divided around what they wouldn't eat or not, or what they would eat together. And so it was creating all of these divisions in their assembly and, and all of the attitudes of, of being more morally pure, okay, or more strong in faith. All of these, these attitudes popped up, and it creating a lot of division. So that's what the entire book of Romans was written for, just to address, hey, you guys are being divided. You guys are divided. You guys are divided and showing up in the most basic of ways. You can't even eat together. You can't even eat together. And so what Paul does, and if you're working through the letter from start to finish, we're going from the end to the beginning. Um, what Paul does is, is demonstrates that um, the various groups, right? The various groups, whether they're on the conservative side they think that they're right, or whether they're on the liberal side, and that they think that they're right because they're, they're more progressive, and so they hold some arrogance, 
all right, over the, the more conservative side because they're so traditional. Um, what, he, what Paul says is, listen, the issue isn't who's right and wrong in these various debates. In their, because what they've done is that they've, they've taken their position and they've established that that position is a, a position of privilege or a, priv, a position of, of moral superiority, and it's been a position that they've used to claim power. He says, what, you, what both of you have done is that you've, you've used your opinions and your preferences to establish a base to develop and establish your own power and privilege over the other. And in doing so, you have sinned. In doing so, you have sinned against uh, not only the, the people that you are in division with, you have sinned against God. Because your higher... The, 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 the greatest pursuit that you can pursue uh, is to sacrifice and love for the benefit of others, and you haven't done that. So therefore, regardless of what place that you're in, you are all unrighteous. You, you've used your opinion to establish your own righteousness, but it is invalid. It is invalid. You are all unrighteous. You are all uh, pathetic and, and weak. And so then the big question then, well, what does it mean then to be righteous? And that question popped up at the end of that, at the end of that message, as I mentioned. Well, what does it mean then to be righteous? How can we live in this world with all, all of the weight of these moral obligations that are upon us and live with a clear conscience knowing that we are indeed righteous, that the life I live towards others is good and true, that the life I live uh, is one that is dignified and others can respect me, and have a sense of being right and good and fulfilled in how I live my life. That's what we're trying to discover in what it means to be righteous, so that we can uh, be free of all of these various moral obligations that, that the world or ourselves put upon us. So last week, so the, Paul uses essentially two chapters to frame in what this righteous life looks like, chapters 12 and chapters 13. Chapters 14 and 15, he's addressing this one particular issue of their Lord's Supper meetings and what they were eating and drinking or not. It's a very specific application of the, of the general ideas as he, that he's putting forth in 12 and 13. And so if you think about it, it's not that different from like the book of Ephesians or Colossians, where it's about two chapters worth of material that defines, here's what it means to live life as a Christian. Last week we looked at the last half, 12, 14 through the end of chapter 13. Uh, what does it mean to live life in the world in a righteous way? And we saw that there were three components to that. The relationships we have with other people. And they needed to be defined by one, blessing enemies. All right, so the people that are persecuting you and hurting you, you need to figure out how you're going to love them. All right? Stark contrast to what the world does. Second, empathize with others. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Anything that you see in this world that is good, honor that. Honor that. Look, look out into the world and don't just see what's negative about it. Don't just see what's opposed to you. 
See what's good, because that good is, is from God, and if you can make those connections with others on what is good that establishes relationship, it opens up gospel windows. It's pursuing peace, and it's loving your neighbor. That's what it means, so relationships, and then there was government, which essentially is wrapped up in two ideas. Submit to the government and pay your taxes. Honor and respect, that's the big challenge for us. Hold in high regard those who are in places of authority in your government. And the third one was moral conduct, how you live your life in a, in a moral manner. So life in the world, relationships, government, and your, and your moral life. Today, the first half of chapter 12, we are looking at life in the church. And so like last week, we spent a little bit of time on verses 1 through 2, because that is kind of the introduction to these, these last four chapters. Now, I'm calling chapters, excuse me, I'm calling verses 1 and 2, uh, it's a bridge. It's a bridge because there is 11 chapters of teaching, some of the deepest and most complex teaching in the New Testament, in all of the Bible, actually, Romans 1 through 11. Um, and then there's, then there's five chapters of application. 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Between the two is this little two-verse bridge. And the two-verse bridge is the, is, the, um, is the link between the teaching and the application and answers the question, how do we live this way? How do we live this way? Um, so it begins, he says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Can we bring that, that passage up here? <clears throat> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. All right, his appeal is based upon, let's just leave that up there. The appeal is based upon an understanding of the grace of God that he has spent 11 chapters teaching. So that, that, is, that is the basis of Paul's authority and, and audacity. Because what he's asking is, he says, I want you to sacrifice yourselves. I don't want you to kill yourself in sacrifice. I want you to live, but I want you to live as if your life was a sacrifice. It is no longer yours. You are giving it away. You are not the authority over your life anymore. You are not the power of your life anymore. God has done something, and it's given Paul the authority and the, and the audacity to say, your life is not your own. It has been bought. I'm asking you to completely give it away. So Paul's saying, I appeal to you. And he says to present, so give your bodies, okay? All of our bodies, individual bodies. Every one of us here has our own body with a mind that we have to determine what we're going to do with with our body. So all of us have to come to this point where we make a, a decision to come together as a common sacrifice. And so this is Paul's appeal to unity in the book of Romans. We are all called as a body, okay, as bodies, to one body. We are, we are called together towards a common purpose, a common mission. In Ephesians, we know that that is the place where God dwells. He is pulling us together to make us a unified people. And that unified people is expressing 
the, the, the power and the unity and the wisdom and the glory of God through his indwelling. Okay, so through his indwelling, we are all to be oriented along the same purposes uh, as God calls us to. We are called to give our life to this thing. He says it's a holy and acceptable. All right, so the word holy means that it's, it's set apart and it's distinct, okay? So it's different. This is, comes into this idea that we're not to be conformed to the world. We are to be holy. We are to be different from the world. We cannot follow a pattern of life and make decisions for our, for our purpose and for our calling like the world does. Or we just kind of figure out, hey, here's, here's what I want to do. That's what the world does. What he says is you have a distinct and holy calling that, that would be acceptable to God. If you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, here's what qualifies it. Got to be a sacrifice coming together within a church community for a singular purpose that God has given. That is what God will accept. That is what God will qualify. If our lives do not take on this characteristic of sacrificial living by our own will, committing with a local church, committing with a local church, it's not going to have this quality of being holy and acceptable. We're going to look at the difference between what it means to be accepted by God because of the justification that Jesus gives us through our faith, okay, that's justification. We're gonna, when we hit chapter 3 in a few weeks, we're going to hit that. And then we are automatically acceptable as people. It's a different question. Okay, it's a different question. Are our lives acceptable? We as individuals are always acceptable because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our lives, however, are not automatically acceptable. They are not automatically holy. They are not automatically pleasing. We can walk in a manner that pleases God or we can walk in a manner that doesn't please God, even though we are in this place of always being accepted by him. And that's one of the challenges of, that we have when we are learning to walk by faith, learning to walk in, in, in Jesus Christ. How, how do I balance this place <laughs> of always being accepted one, but my life may not always be acceptable. So that's one of the challenges that we'll work through. And then he says that it, this is your, the, the translation has, this is your spiritual worship or spiritual service. And really the, the term is, is logikos. Okay, it comes from the word logos, which is the term for the, the word or the gospel. Really, it's, this is your gospel service. This is your gospel service. This is your service that reflects the mercies of God that I've been teaching on for 11 chapters. If you are going to live in a way that's consistent with the good news of Jesus Christ, what God has done through him from eternity past through the Israel and now through the Gentiles uh, for the purpose of ultimately getting to the point of the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ reigns and rules, um, here's what it means to live a life according to that, a gospel service. And it's not, you know, when it says worship, this is your gospel worship. It's not, I mean, worship, we worship God when we come in here and we give thanks and we sing and, and, and we pray. That's, we have a worship service. What Paul's saying here is that your life is one of gospel service to God. That's worship. That's worship. Your, your lived out life 
is worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is what we looked at last week. Um, and then this, what this does is it gives you the ability to evaluate, test, and confirm God's will. Evaluate, test, and confirm God's will. As we live life, we are constantly presented with challenges. Paul says we live our lives from faith to faith. Our faith is always growing. We are in this process always. We've, we've presented our bodies as sacrifices in a local church for it to be unified. But it's not perfected immediately. All right? There's always this, this, there's this lifelong process of evaluating, testing, and affirming God's will. We are faced with challenges. And it is through the renewing of our mind, through the experiences of life, that we are able to go from faith to faith, growing and becoming increasingly mature. So that is, that is kind of the, the, this, that's the transition bridge. How do I go from the teaching to the application? The ideas and, and the power is here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now he's dependent upon understanding that he's taught in 1 through 11. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of the series going through. All right, so he makes an appeal. He makes an appeal. We understand that we are called to a collective sacrifice together as a church community. The first thing, and we're called to renew our minds, the first thing that we renew our minds in is this idea that, that our people are now the people of God. The church is now this group of people that I'm committed to, right? Uh, it's, it's not biological family. There are instructions in the teachings of Jesus Christ on how we are to relate to our biological family, right? It's not our co-workers, it's not our friends. Our people is now the church, okay? We are each other. Paul says, we are members one of another. Right? This is the family of God. And, and, and Paul wants us to understand now, wants us to understand that we are brought together through the gospel in the Holy Spirit and are one with each other. That's the reality. Right? And every local church across the planet that has ever existed or will ever exist, that's true of. It's true as a local church level. It's also true in, in, in what scholars call this, this realm of the heavenlies. Okay, we are united, one with each other, of every person who's a Christian right now on the face of the planet through the Holy Spirit. But we can't fill the, fulfill the obligations of the New Testament, of Jesus' teaching, with people halfway across the world. This is the people. We are the people that are called together in this unity to, to mutually sacrifice our bodies for the purposes of God. That is the first thing that is required in our in our mind renewal, all right? And again, if, if we don't, um, you know, it, it's, there are, a lot, I mean, there, there are a lot of Christians, unfortunately. There are a lot of Christians that uh, have simply kind of elected to not be in the church. Uh, this is a life that is neither holy or acceptable. There's a book uh, I can't remember the title. I read it like 10 years ago. So you don't want to go to church anymore. So you don't want to be a part of the church anymore. And it is a promotion of this, this independently lived life between an individual and God. 
doesn't meet the qualifications of what it, it means to be holy and acceptable. It doesn't require a common sacrifice of a people to a purpose. And there's a reason for that call for us to mutually sacrifice ourselves together is that it, it, it brings us to this place of love. It brings us to a place of love where we have to ultimately follow Jesus in giving up what we would like or what we would prefer for the benefit of others. And that's the ultimate, that's what it means to ultimately follow Jesus. He says, greater love has, nothing, has, has, has no one than this, than one would lay down uh, his or her life for another. And so when we're called together in community, there's an immediate recognition that, that um, God is, is bringing back to unite what was broken apart in sin. And that is going to create all kinds of conflict and tension, just like here in the Roman church between Jews and Gentiles, between races, between socioeconomic classes, between backgrounds and cultures. Christ is going to eliminate <laughs> all of those potential obstacles for unity. And he's calling us to unity. And the power is available if, if we can approach this with a renewed mind the first thing we need to renew our mind in. The second thing that we need to renew our mind in is that in our collective sacrifice, we have something unique to contribute. And he says, I encourage you not to think too highly or too lowly of yourselves, but think as with sober judgment. And our tendency, our tendency is to do one of two things when we're in the midst of a group of people. The first thing we try to do, or one of the things that we try to do, is we try to, to see what it's going to take for us to get to the top of this group, right? How can I demonstrate how great I am with this group of people? The second thing that we have a tendency to do is uh, I'm so pathetic and weak and insecure. I have nothing to contribute to this group. I'm the lowest of the low. Those are the two things that we kind of do. We think way too low of ourselves, or we think way too high of ourselves. All right? And one, each of us probably knows where we fall on that spectrum. Paul says, listen, when you, when you are a part of a community of people, the local church, you need to think of yourself uh, with sober judgment. And what enables us to see where we fit. Okay? And it's not an issue of... of, of um, it's not an issue of value. And he uses the metaphor of the body. None of us would want to be a, 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 without um, any part of our bodies. You know, it, it, the, the, your, your pinky toe uh, seems like it's a very insignificant part of your body. And you don't think of it that much. You don't look at it that much. Uh, you don't take care of it that much. But I tell you what, if it's really hurting... It affects your entire life. And, that, and that's true of any part of your body. When, it, when the whole body is not functioning correctly, whether it's a small part or a big part, it's, 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 it doesn't work. You're not happy. People around you aren't happy. That's Paul's, that's Paul's metaphor here. And so he says, you think of yourself as a part of this group in terms of what you can contribute. You've all been given a gift, he says. You've all been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Use it. Use it. Use it in proportion to your faith. What's that mean? Well, 
when you're young in the faith, you're not going to be able to fully use your gift to the extent that you will when you are really mature in the faith. Okay, so don't try to press yourself beyond what you feel and what you sense from the Spirit and what you... Don't do things to try to get ahead uh, and um, don't minimize what you're contributing because you think so low of yourself. And he's going to give some characteristics of what our service should look like here in a minute. But he has these gifts. Prophecy, which is the gift of being able to kind of connect the people of God and, and the world and what's going on. There's an, it's not just like the future telling idea that we have or having a word from the Lord. It's, it's being able to connect the world and where it's at, the challenges that we are facing as a people and to bring the scriptures to bear on that. Um, service, just helping others. Some of you are exceptional in helping others. And it's like every time there's a need that pops up, oh, there's that group of people that seem to always meet that need. Those are the people that are helpers in their service. There are teachers that people instruct people in God's word. There's exhortation who are really good at correcting people. Hey, you guys, if you've been around in the church for a while, you may have one of these kind of persons in your house church. They have a tendency to kind of be on that corrective end all the time. And it's good. And hopefully they've learned and are learning to do it in, in love and grace. But there are people that do this more often than others. And then there are some of you that would like don't ever want to ever in your life have to correct anybody. Okay, You don't have that gift. You don't have that gift. Now, the scriptures tell us all to, to, speak to, one another, and to speak to one another when there's a need in terms of correcting. But there are people that are gifted in this. Then there are people who have the gifts of giving and sharing. There are people that just, they have, they've, God has given them the ability to share and to give, and they are to do so with generosity. With generosity. Then there's leading, which they see a problem, they put together a plan, bring together the people, find the resources, and, and conquer the problem. And then there are acts of mercy where people see others that are hurting and they are the first to give aid and that's when they're really energized. They are, it, it gives them energy to help others who are hurting. It, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. I'll just spend a little bit of time on this. It's extraordinary. and I'll, I didn't tell Anna I was going to say anything about this, but she has, she has she's a, she's a, a mercy shower, a very empathetic person. And um, she comes alive when there's a big need to address in terms of somebody's hurting. If she can come around somebody, whereas, I mean, I mean, she just is drawn towards that. When I'm presented with that kind of a situation where somebody's really in an emotional state of pain, I, I've grown in this because I, I've observed and learned, I think, from, from Anna over the years. It's a long learning process, 25 years, but um, it, it, like going into hospitals used to just paralyze me because I, did, I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know what I could say, you know, and so there's, there's some real skill and, and inherent giftedness that comes with these things, um, and it's really amazing to see 
uh, what energizes and motivates people. And so what Paul's saying is here is, listen, you all have something to contribute to this church. Don't use it to boast. Don't minimize it in your insecurity. Use it to the fullest. Use it to the fullest because it's going to meet needs and it's going to bring the church together in unity and it's going to give us the foundation of doing things in, in accomplishing mission in the world, which comes right after this, after this passage. You need all of these things. If you let's just look at the, the ministry of Twin Cities Ministries. You can go down every single one of these seven things and identify from the beginning of the organization in 2011 to right now, you take out any one of these, the, the ministry fails. The ministry fails. There's been leaders, there's been teachers, there's been exhorters, there's been prophets, there's been a lot of giving, there's been a lot of acts of mercy, there's been a lot of service. All right, And that's all come out of this local church into a pressing need in the world. And so we're called to this is, we're called to see ourselves as a member of this local church, and this is our mission. This is our mission. We all have jobs, we all have families, we all have, but we are all called to pull those things into a collective sacrifice and service to God together. Second thing, we have all, we've all been given gifts. Third, we have a common character. This list of things, I would say, I would encourage you, this would be a list to memorize. To be a list to memorize. It's similar to Colossians chapter 3, all the things to put off and put on. This is a very challenging list, and, and, it, would, and it finishes uh, in the last half of chapter 12 as well that we looked at last week in terms of how we live in the world. Let me just read through these 13 things. We're to have sincere love, which means that our, our efforts to sacrifice for the benefit of others needs to really come from the heart. Can't be faked. Don't do any fake love here. Abhor evil, which means if don't delight in, don't participate in, and avoid evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Be drawn, drawn to and invest in and hold tight to things that are good. Here's a challenging one. Love one another because it's, it's telling us what to do with our feelings. Love one another with familial affection. Love one another with familial affection. That's a, that's a command to direct your feelings. How do you do that? He says, outdo one another in honoring one another, which means that when you honor somebody, you hold them up. You hold them up and value and treasure them. He says, outdo one another in how, in how you hold up and honor each other. But that means everybody's going to try to be making everyone else around them think they're the greatest thing in the world. Don't be lazy in your diligence. Always work hard with focus, with clarity, with zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Don't be a downer. Don't just be indifferent. Zealous enthusiasm, constant diligence. Serve Jesus. Serve Jesus, not yourself. Rejoice in hope. 
We have a hope. Rejoice in it. Which complements this next one. Be patient in the endurance of suffering. Tribulation is how it's translated there. Which means that in the midst of, in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of potentially persecution, we have a hope to look forward to, and that is to what we are rejoicing in. Even when we don't feel like it, when we don't feel like it is when we need to be rejoicing in hope because it points us to something that is beyond our current circumstances and it acknowledges the victory, the ultimate victory of the gospel over evil. Constant prayer. Now, he's not meaning that every minute of your life is you're praying. You've got stuff to do, right? But over the course of your life, it's, it's bathed and soaked in prayer. You have consistent prayer. You meet needs. Meet the needs of the saints. When a need pops up, you meet it. Pursue hospitality, which is loving strangers, which we spend an entire series on. Now, I don't know about you, but I read through just that list of 13, and there's like another 15 that comes in our relationship with the world. On top of being, you know, using all of these gifts, and then you're like, I, 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 don't do, I don't live this way. And it's going to be really hard to live this way. And you get to the end of that list, or just even just a few of them. Love one another with familial affection and have diligence in your zeal. And the point is, is that you, you kind of should be feeling, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is a completely different way of life than the world around us. Completely different. And it won't happen without the transformation of God. It won't happen, and that, and that transformation comes with a renewal of mind around the mercies of God, around the grace of God. And it, it, see, th these things we can say, yes, I am going to pursue them. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to strive to grow in them. Okay? When we get to that point, we're, we get to that point because not of moral obligation, not out of a sense of guilt or insecurity, not out of a sense of pleasing people or, or wanting to boast in others over how spiritually great we are. The only way that we can get to a point where we can, we can have any hope of doing these things on a long-term basis is if we're doing it because it's what we love, that we have a passion for. Right? But we're devoted to, not because of obligation, but because it is what we love. And renewing our mind in the mercies of God, in, in, in Him sacrificing His Son, in Christ willfully sacrificing Himself, on the cross, taking the sword, shedding His blood, breaking His body. When, when we comprehend and renew our mind on that gospel truth. The, our love for God and our love for each other deepens. And Paul is anticipating, listen, I've given you all of this teaching, but we're going to spend the rest of the series on. If you comprehend that and deepen in that and renew your minds around that, it will create the type of love that you're going to need to fulfill this life. Let me pray.